0: K M T T. Kimitzion Tetzay Torah today is Friday. Friday, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Pesach Pinchas. Chaf Tammuz, the 20th day of Tammuz, and this is Ezra Bek and today's Erev Shabbat program. Pesach Pinchas opens with the bracha, the blessing given by God to Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Hakohen, Pinchas, who at the end of the previous Pasha, had taken the spear in his hand and gone alone and executed you might say assassinated Zimri ben Salu Nisi Beit Abla Shimoni, very important person the head of Shevet Shimon together with the Midianite woman, Kozbi Batsu. And in the beginning of this week's passage, God says to Moshe, Pinhas ben Eleazar ben Aaron, the priest, he lived with his mother-in-law, El ben Israel, in Kinnahti in between them. And he lived with the sons God gives him a special covenant of peace, and it was also things had explained that Pinhas became a kohen because Pinchas was not actually a kohen. Since only the children of Aharon, uh, Elazar, and Itamar had been consecrated as Kohanim, and their children who were born after that consecration were Kohanim, but Pinchas wasn't included in the entire ceremony that took place in the beginning of AYIKAH when the Kohanim were chosen, and therefore he wasn't actually a Kohen He became a Kohanim now uh, when God gave him Briti Shalom v'Haytalo Uzaro Achara Brit Kehunat Olam. the question of course arises is what is the relationship our relationship what is the Torah's relationship to the activity which is here described by the word Kano Kana'ut Kannaim. the halacha that Pinchas fulfilled or the halacha which Pinchas exhibited when he killed Zimri is halachically defined as Kana'im Poginbo certain transgressions result in a state called Kanaim pogimbo. They who are <coughs> they who are Kanaim Zilats strike him down. The activity called Kana'ut is by definition in Halacha extra legal. Kanaim pogimbo means you don't go to court or the court is not he who does something, even though there is a court, and in Moshe's time there was a court, but you don't wait for court, you don't go to court. In fact, Allah says that if you go to court to ask permission, if Pinchas had asked what to do, he wouldn't have been sent to kill his inmates because he acted on his own. Now, see this creates a, a, a certain tension, philosophic, social, practical problem. As to people who literally uh, this isn't a, an, an opprobeum that I'm saying, they literally take the law into their own hands, and that's in fact what is being being done here and that is what God's response is to. that's what the word Kina means person who acts on his own. Now obviously in context last week's parasha the explanation is found as to why it took place. Uh, uh, Zimri had challenged the entire order of Moshan Aaron and the court. The it, it took place after the Vasheha avot had been had been organized to judge the sinners, the transgressors at the time of at in the incident of Baal Paor And and what Zimri was doing was a kind of uh of protest movement, a very effective one had it had he gotten away with it, of publicly taking the Midianite girl, because Batsur, and and, and and publicly defying Moshe and Aaron. And he was a very important person, a politician, statesman, leader of one of the Shvatim. And and Chazal described that Bhima that, Buchim, Moshe and Aaron didn't know what to do they, they had a momentary lapse of reaction at that point Pinchas a private individual rose, took the spear and and killed him and that ended the plague that God had imposed on the Jews so it, it, it's clear that in context that the action of Kana'ut is appropriate because of a unusual and 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 uh, an unusual breakdown in the normal civic order, but nonetheless, the, we we understand that the 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 activity, the phenomenon of kanaut, the psychology of kanaut, is both very appealing, very inciting, and very dangerous. And the says, "What did God?" say about Pinchas since he did this thing he took my zealotry and was zealous in my name I give him my covenant of peace the Mitzvah says why a covenant of peace give him it turns out later on he gave him Kuna okay, he gave him something what's the covenant of peace and it says because the phenomenon the psychological phenomenon of Kana'ut is dangerous to the Kana'i you cannot be a Kana'i to strike out against evildoers without inculcating and absorbing into yourself a large measure of of cruelty. Of even viciousness. And, and I think what the Nitsiv means it's it's different than say being a court where you judge people. Or even the executioner for the court. So you have to kill somebody. Uh, the Gemara says that that every Shochit, person who, who slaughters animal slaughters animals, has has a problem with cruelty. But I think here we understand that psychologically it's it's a much more severe problem. Because where you have a a, a system, where you have an institution which institutionalizes punishment, so the person who acts within it is acting not in his own name. He's acting in the name of the institution. He has to, let's say, if he's an executioner, so he has to kill somebody. Okay, but he knows he's not doing it in his own name. He knows that society is executing this person. So you have to strengthen yourself to do the actual activity and, and repress your own natural sympathies which, is, which might extol a price and you have to make sure that the sympathies return immediately afterwards but you haven't committed yourself to cruelty the whole point of the kanot of Pinchas is one he's not acting in anyone else's name except in his own and two he's also acting instinctively he's allowing it's not a measured response it's not something which has been debated and, 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 and looked at both sides and the court has sat up for days and discussed and debated and, and reached a decision. It's by definition, by halachic definition, it's an instinctive reaction at the moment. If you think too long, don't do it. And trusting one's instincts means releasing one's instincts. The executioner can kill somebody even though his instincts are merciful. Pinchas at that moment acted because he didn't have any midat rachamim. He allowed the natural vicious tendencies of a human being to burst out, he directed them in a good cause. But when he struck down Zimri, he was acting in exactly the same way, in exactly the same way psychologically, as the most base of murders. So the says, that's why God said to him in the Lord, briti shalom. The shalom is not a reward it's a it's a medicine it's rehabilitative because of what Pinchas had done which God is very pleased about but he's skating on extremely thin ice in fact he's gone over the ice is broken and you have to pull him out of the icy waters that he's plunged himself into for a good cause so that's the first thing I think this point is very very well taken I think it's my Mash in the Pasukia, Et Buriti Shalom, that Pinchas merited and deserved and required the palliative effect of God's Shalom because there is a, there's, there's a contradiction between Kin'at Hashem and Shlom Hashem. In this context, we can't help but notice that the word Shalom in V'riti Shalom. God gave him covenant of peace. The word Shalom, the Vav, the third letter, has is broken. It's called the Vav Ketia. The Vav, what it's a straight standing line, is broken in the middle. A special Mesoret Baal a tradition of the way to write Sefei Tara, that this Vav is up at of the Vav, and it's broken in the middle. No explanation in the tradition is given as to why. Obviously, you have to make it up. It's hard to avoid the inference that the peace given to Pinchas, despite God's need, God's willingness, God's desire to give him Briti Shalom, is going to be broken. Vav Kitiah. The Pinchas has, in effect, sacrificed something very precious. And peace, of course, the word shalom in Hebrew also means shleimut. It means perfection, fulfillment. And the shalom of Pinchas, which will succeed because it will become a Kohen. And, and, and as you know, to be a Kohen, you have to be an, a, a man of peace. There's a contradiction between mikdash and blood. You're not allowed to use steel in cutting the stones of the mikdash because the, 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 the altar, of the altar, of the misbehah, because the Mizbech brings shalom the of it brings peace into the world and therefore an instrument of war cannot be entered into the Beit HaMikdash a Kohen who has killed somebody may not serve in the Mikdash Pinchas served in the Mikdash because he apparently received enough of a Brit Shalom to correct whatever deficiencies the Netziv has found in his character from beforehand or not deficiencies whatever uh, um, well whatever f- flaws or whatever Bad effects. But nonetheless, if you know it's a Vapkitiya. The peace is not complete. You can't undo everything you've done. And Pinchas has gone on a certain path, not a path of sin, a path of mitzvah, a path worthy of commendation. But there are consequences to what you choose. And the consequences in his case are almost completely undone on he, 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 the contrary he, even, he gets to be in the Mikdash where he wasn't beforehand he becomes a special kind of Kohen but the Shalom is incomplete it's enough practically speaking it's enough he'll be a Kohen but in the reality of things his peace will not be, ever be complete peace because of his choice i will talk a little bit more about Kana'ut at the end of today's broadcast, but right now I turn the microphone over to the weekly appearance of Harav Binyamin Tavori, and uh, we'll hear which personality he has chosen this week to introduce us to from the Igdolay Israel. Harav Tavori, please.
1: This Shabbos, Parashat, Pinchas is the yard site of Rav Shlomo Palachek, better known, perhaps, as the Ili of Majit, the Majit Ilui. Rav Shlomo Palachek was born in 1877, and at the age of 12, someone, Rav Yaakov Rabinovitz, met him, and was so impressed with his acumen that he brought him to the Yeshiva of al The Yeshiva, at that time, generally accepted students approximately the age of 16, 17. But he was brought to Yeshiva when he was 12 years old. In fact, at the original meeting with him, the Rosh Hashiva allegedly said, why do you bring someone who needs to bring a crib along with him? And they said, well, why don't you talk to him in learning? Why don't you test him? And afterwards we'll see what size crib you think he really deserves, he really should have. They say that Reb Chaim, who was at that time, of course, a Ram in the Yeshiva Valashin, Reb Chaim Salavechik, Reb Chaim came into the interview and he was so impressed with the intelligence, the breadth of knowledge of this 12-year-old that he summed it up by asking, where do you come from? Where were you born? When he said that he lived in a town near Mejit, so Chaim said, "Ah, oh, then you're going to be known as the Ili of Mejit, the Mejit Ilui." According to legend, tradition, this is the source of the appellation, the Mejit Te'ilui, which stuck all his life. In fact, today, where we have one sefer, printed on, of his chidushim, the name of the sefer is chidushai ha'ilu yimimejit. That is the name by which he is known the entire yeshiva world. He celebrated his bar mitzvah in Val Lashen, which of course was also unusual, since they, the average student came in when he was 16 or 17, it seems very rare that there was a bar mitzvah. And at the bar mitzvah, he gave an original drasha, his own Khidushim, which apparently impressed everyone, including the youngster himself, who overcome with who was overcome with emotion and burst out crying. He learned in Valashen and became especially close to his mentor, to Reb Chaim. I said before that Reb Chaim called him the major Te'ilui. Later on. It was known that Reb Chaim said he never met an Eli as great in the, as the Mejiter his entire life. He learned for a few years in Valashin, but then he went to learn by Reb Chaim Ozer, and he also thought of learning in Mosul Yeshivas for a while. He did not find that so much to his liking, and therefore he did not stay long in those Yeshivas. He apparently was autodidactic, and studied by himself some modern Hebrew, some secular subjects. And when Revrinus, the great leader of Mizrahi, founded his yeshiva in Lida, the famous yeshiva of Rev. Reynas, the, that yeshiva, of course, was unusual because they had a concept of studying secular subjects as well. It was a very progressive type of yeshiva at the time. So, when Rav Reynas founded the yeshiva, he appointed the majorter as the head of the, of, of the Gemara program of the yeshiva. And when Rav Reynas was Nifter, when Rav Reynas passed away in 1915, so the yeshiva burden fell upon the majorter. And at that time, with the upheaval of the war, the Major wandered around, went to Russia, had different problems with the revolution. He became a Rosh Hashiva in the Yeshiva in Bayalistak that was called Tach But upon an invitation by Rabbi Revel, he accepted the position of Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva University in 1922. Now, at that time, Yeshiva University, of course, was really Yeshiva Srebretzer HaKhanan. It was in the infancy of its stage as, as the Yeshiva, as the major Yeshiva, the major role that it was to p- to play as as being part of yesh- as being a part of a Yeshiva University. But nevertheless, this step of of the major Teilui to go to America in a certain sense put YU, Yeshiva University, on the map. To that day, Yeshiva University did not have any major girdle, any major re- world renowned Hamid chacham who was who who would agree to give a Shia in that yeshiva. We know that one of the policies of Rabbi Revel was to try to institute the level of learning in yeshiva university to be the same as the yeshivas in Europe. In order to attain that position, he tried to influence many rashi yeshiva, great rashi yeshiva, to come to the yeshiva, to be there for a year or two, even to say, we know that Reb Shimon Shkup came to yeshiva university, he tried, Rabbi Revel tried to bring Reb Baruch Bear, and eventually, at the time of the major, the major was known as the Outstanding Tamit Chacham of yeshiva university. When some of the European Russian yeshiva came to America to raise money for their yeshiva, it is told that one asked the major, Why did you come to America? You should have stayed in Europe. You would have been a great Russia Shiva. And the, the answer of Palachek was If I would have stayed in Europe and become a great Russia Shiva like you, I'd be in America today just like you. What did he mean by that clever answer? Well, it could mean that he said, if I had been in America, in Europe saying Sheer Yeshiva, I would have had the responsibility of a, a Yeshiva on my shoulders, which is what he felt after the death of R- Rabbi Reines. And therefore he knew he would have to travel to America, to the place where there was money which could support the Yeshivas, as uh, we would say, there's no food on the table so you can't learn. And that what, what was what he hinted, that he would be uh, raising money for yeshivas and, uh, when he was in yeshiva university obviously he could devote himself solely to learning and teaching and did not have the responsibility of supporting yeshiva which fell very heavily on the shoulders of Rabbi Ravel. but Rabbi Palachik did not have that responsibility whereas had he been in Europe or Russian yeshiva in Europe he might have had that responsibility others have suggested a different and brilliant uh, hint of Rabbi Palachik's statement, if I would be a famous Rosh shiva in Europe, I would be in America today. Perhaps what he meant to say is, not only did he realize that Yeshiva University in America is a place of Torah, but he realized that eventually the Yeshivas in Europe somehow will move to other areas. Like, we know that Yehuda was sent we have a tradition that Yehuda was sent first in order to prepare the way for the brothers to go the Medrash explains that Yehuda established a spiritual environment in Goshen they say he set up a yeshiva in Goshen in order to prepare the way for his brothers to come similarly the the Majiter anticipated the fact that eventually Torah institutions will be transplanted to America and it's up to great Russia Yeshiva to pave the way for them to come to America where there was a type of prosperity and people could build the institutions which could therefore disseminate their Torah. Not only was Rabbi Polachik recognized in Yeshiva University But in general, he was a leader well accepted by the Orthodox community. He became a member of the Union of Orthodox Rabbis, was very active in the Mizrahi movement, and in general, he enjoyed this great reputation of being a Talmud Mufak, a special Talmud of Reb Chaim of Brisk, and his reputation went before him. It is possible to posit that the Mejiter also, himself, an autodidactic person, who was involved at one time in secular subjects, studied modern Hebrew, he found a that the yeshiva, which would teach secular subjects, a yeshiva which would be more open-minded to the modern generation was indeed to his liking. The fact of his life is that he taught in Tachkemoni, which was also at that time considered a progressive type of yeshiva. He taught in Rabbi as yeshiva, which certainly at that time was considered a modern type of yeshiva. And then he wound up in Yeshiva University, somehow shows that he identified with this st- style of life, with this style of learning. Unfortunately, of course, he died at a very young age. He was 50 years old when he was Nifter. And it's hard to believe that this reputation of the the major Te'ilui was established and so well embedded in American culture when we realize that he died so young at the age of 50. He was a great Zionist. As I said before, he was a member of Mizrahi. At one point in his life, he said that if he could, he would give up his career in America and go to Eretz and become a farmer. People apparently said to him, so indeed, why don't you do it? His response was that he doesn't know Hebrew, and I guess he didn't know much about farming either. The experience that he had in Valazhin or in Brisk or in Slabotke did not prepare him adequately for a life of being a, a chaklai, a farmer in Ech Yisrael. So he said he wouldn't know how, what to do. So someone said to him, but if that were true, why do you teach in yeshiva? According to you, you don't know how to learn either. According to you, he was he was so modest and polite in all his behavior that people thought his modesty in all areas would mean that he could do whatever he wanted to do. He felt he couldn't, he felt he shouldn't reach these positions, but nevertheless he could do it. So if so, they really suggested, so why can't you go to, to Israel to be a farmer? We don't know what would have happened had he lived for Ari Yamim. It's hard to project what would have happened. We do not have much literature, money chidushim, from the major ter- But this awesome reputation still exists. The only Sefer that we have, as I mentioned before, is the Sefer Chidush Ha'Illami Mejit, which has a hundred shiurim, a few more than a hundred shiurim, on all areas of Shas. It's extremely brilliant. The style of learning is perhaps a little more pilpilistic than we are used to. The ones who were trained by the more the brisker method, sometimes are a little surprised by the perspicacity and insight of a pilpal type of approach, which is not, does not seem to be the same style as Chaim necessarily. The safer is known to be a classic. In my experience, though, I've seen not many people, I have not seen many people use the safer. I think they find it very challenging very difficult to understand, and therefore they don't use it. In a sense, it's a shame, because the reputation of the major is so great that it would be obviously important to the world, not only should his reputation be great, but that his, his Torah should be spread more and should be learned for now and forever.
0: You've been listening to Rav Um To come back to Pinchas. There were two great Kanaim, two great Zilats in Tanakh. Pinchas and Eliyahu. Eliyahu, when he flees to the desert and God says to him, to Chorev, to the mountain of God, and God says to him, what are you doing here? He says, Kano kineit kineiti l'shem Hashem. I was zealous, very zealous. Kano kineiti, in your name. And the Midrash Khaza was so impressed by the parallel between the two of them, that they said Eliyahu Pinchas. They claimed it was the same person. I think among other things, it indicates that the character of zealotry is so unusual, and so, so non-normative, that Chazal didn't want there to be two. It's enough that there should be one. There were a lot of tzaddikim, but there was only one kanai. And they put Pinchas and, and, and Eliyahu together. Uh, but the Midrash which which mentioned this continues in an interesting manner about Eliyahu Hupin Pinchas Eliyahu said Kano kineti. it was a time of a personal depression for him he had fled from Israel gone to the desert and said to God in the end I want to die nothing I do works I I devoted myself Kano kineti. my entire life I've dedicated in zealotry for your name and it doesn't work nothing happens uh, and in fact the Biscuit is the end of his career so the midrash says, God says to him, "You canokineti." Therefore, I will send you to every single brit so that you can see that they are observing my brit. Because Eliyahu had said to God, "Canokineti the Hashem," but the Jews at britcha they transgressed your covenant. God says, "You will go to every brit Mila, every covenant, and you will see that they are doing it." And a discussion in the discussion in the commentaries in the in the, in the peskim as whether well this is a reward. God says to him oh wow you've done a really good job you've been zealotry in my name I'm going to reward you by inviting you to come participate in every bit because it's a great joy it's a wonderful thing to be invited to every bit or was it a kind of punishment the, the, the Jewish quotes the the opinion that it was a punishment well not a punishment so much but but a, again a correction a palliative God says mm. to him you've been zealous in my name meaning you you've dis- to be zealous you have to discover all sorts of transgressions you upset and 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 committed against evil. Because you see a lot of evil? As in fact, Bussel continues, and therefore this interpretation understands. God says to Yao, you know, I, I, I know your motivation is pure and, and it's the purity of your soul which leads to this, but you're exaggerating. You're always seeing evil and fighting against it. I'm going to send you to in Jewish history. You are going to see how, for thousands of years, the Jews are committed to the Brit, which you said that they were uh, uh, transgressing. You will be invited to every single Brit. You have you will have to attend every single Brit, and that will be the correction for the overzealousness, the over that you've exhibited that you've exhibited today. Uh, and in, in that context, the statement Eliyahu Hu becomes rather interesting if this interpretation is correct the, 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 the Pisha himself says that he thinks it's incorrect and he's a little bit shocked that anyone could raise this interpretation but I think it's the simple meaning of the words of Chazal Eliyahu Pinchas the two sides of Kana'ut one time exercise of Kana'ut by Pinchas was totally commendable statement Eliyahu Pinchas says that it wasn't a one time thing it was it was embedded deeply in his nature and therefore it came to the fore again Eh, hundreds of years later he had a long life but in any event Eliyahu has a long life Eh, and it happens again and there it's a much longer period of time Eliyahu's life as recorded in the Tanakh is one long period of Kana'ut alone He's alone not because of his fault of because he's broke away from the, the structures. There's nobody else as he says I'm the only one left. But he's alone fighting the one man guerrilla battle against the forces of evil. It's, it's, it's a beautiful picture but could be that it's gone on it's, it's gone on too much. Even if he's right it warps your understanding. And Eliyahu was totally down totally pessimistic about the future of the Jewish people about his own possibility of success so God says to him "Okay, you will stop working your disciple Elisha will take your place but you won't stop seeing and you can interpret it this way in fact you've been successful you have preserved the Jewish people in some sense in any event the Jewish people will be preserved and their commitment to God will be preserved and therefore Eliyahu visits every single Brit and I believe and hope that he does it happily there's of course an interesting change in the perception of the personality of Eliyahu in Jewish tradition. Eliyahu of the Tanakh is a fiery, fierce person who people are afraid of spending time with because his reactions are so severe, so extreme. Justified, I'm not criticizing Eliyahu, but, but he's not the kind of person you want to invite to tea. And of course, Eliyahu in Jewish tradition, the Eliyahu who comes back and wanders about the world, has a totally different personality. He's the old, kind, helping, person saves people in trouble doesn't burn anybody there's no Eliyahu story that I know of where Eliyahu set somebody on fire as he did so often and so well uh, in the stories in, in Tanakh so it could be that in the end indeed the personality is transformed maybe the Brit Shalom really takes place but the combination of the two personalities Eliyahu and Pinchas and the identification the Chazal do between them really shows us the two sides, the two difficult sides of the character trait called Kana'ut. And I'll just uh, conclude with a statement made by many commentators that in any event, God commended Pinchas for et kinati. He was zealous in my zealotry. God was on fire Pinochus took it upon himself and therefore atoned for the Jews. And of course the character trait of zealotry if it's really an inbred character trait very often will not be Kano et Kinati but Kano et Kinato. The fact that you are burning doesn't make you a kanai in the Torah sense. You have to burn in God's burning. And it's very difficult. I think it's impossible for the kanai himself to, because he has to be so emotionally involved in what he's doing, to distinguish as to whether or not he is upset about something that impugned him, him, something that, that, that set him on fire, or whether or not he's absorbing God's fire. If he thought about it long enough, perhaps, and he was wise, and and, and 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 sagacious and able to distance himself then maybe he could make the distinction but the whole point of being a kanai is that you don't distance yourself so the kanai in the throes of reaction is very likely to not be able to ensure that he is kano et kin bit tohan, doing it for God's name but if he does then God commends it and thanks him and gives him briti, briti shalom. And that's it for today. We uh, discussed the beginning of Pashat Pinchas. Pashat Pinchas is a long and interesting parasha, which has many interesting things. It's the beginning of the division of Eretz Israel among the Jews, and therefore it's a very, very, very important parasha. The beginning of the conquest, the beginning of the acquisition of the settlement of the land takes place in Parshat Pinchas when God says He describes how the Eretzah should be divided up among the tribes and among the individuals. Uh, here in Yeshivat HaRetzion we've spent much of the last few months learning the laws of inheritance which are based in fact on Parshat Pinchas both of Eretz Israel and of private property. So it's very much on my mind but in today's broadcast we limited ourselves to the opening verses of the Pasha. I want to wish you all Shabbat Shalom um and You've been listening to KMTT Kim Itzion, Torah. Udvar Hashem I'd like to ask you once again because not enough people have responded to take a few minutes to go to the website and to register for the email list we have only a handful of people on the email list which means that I cannot communicate with you except through this broadcast but if I have to give you an announcement about the change of broadcast or a new broadcast uh, or, or anything else email is the way to do it and we've lost our email list due to a computer mishap, a human error computer mishap. I like to blame the computer, but he needed some assistance. In any event, we have to reconstruct our email list. So if you listen to these broadcasts every day or once a week, and you wish to be in touch to get announcements, it's not a high volume list. Once a month, once every two months, something goes out, please. Take a few seconds. Go to the website www.kimitsion.org. That's www.kimitsion.org. On the left hand side is a little button to click. You register, and your name is, your address is on our mailing list. Please do so so that we can have a means of contact ensure that these broadcasts are better successful and keep on going Shabbat Shalom from Gush Etzion in Eretz Israel. be back next week with more broadcasts of Ki Mitzion Te'etzei Torah KMTT the Torah podcast Kol the Shabbat Shalom